Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. We're back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you, the, you were not feeling great yesterday? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't feeling great yesterday. And then we've been both traveling. I feel like... Yeah. Yeah, it's like the we keep scaring our audience. The podcast is on hiatus. It's back, it's back, it's on hiatus. Yeah, I think we used to be more dedicated. I remember you would just buy a, a cell plan because the hotel Wi-Fi was bad. And this time I was like, oh, the hotel Wi-Fi is bad. Let's just do it next week. Oh, we don't feel good. Let's just do it next week. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry, gals and guys. Um, yeah. And others. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. But it, it's, it's, sorry, audience. But um, we're here, and uh, we're, yeah, I, I, is it? I feel like most internet content. It's good to be regular, and uh, on a regular time interval, every week, every day, whatever. That seems to work. But I guess we don't care about the success of the podcast. We've we've just let it fester and and rot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let it perish on the vine. It, the number one piece of advice I give to people are always like, "How do you fit it in? How do you like also do a podcast?" Because you and I both do a lot of things, and I'm always like, "You just keep a routine." And then it's like, you know, how do you fit breakfast in or whatever? Um, so yeah, it's yeah. also it's it's uh, an hour and a half. It's not. Oh, that's how that's how long it takes me to eat breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, here we are. Yeah. So. Um, you you were traveling. You were in Berlin. Did we talk about that on the podcast? I think so. And and, and I was Sheffield. in the UK. Yeah, we talked yeah. about that. But yeah. uh, now we're both back. It took me a little while to get set up today because my laptop. You know, the saga of the MacBook Pro continues. My you my still home, have an Intel MacBook. Yeah, my old Intel MacBook. Just uh, the power now it won't charge. You know, it's got a missing E key, so I can't. You know, the most used letter on my keyboard pops out every time I type something. So I'm coming to you live from my work computer because I have a new job. I work at ClearCo now, not FreshBooks. You've always heard about me working at an accounting software company. Now I work at a, uh, I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> Is it a, a micro venture capital loan? Anti-venture capital company. Yeah, no loans. We're not a bank. We're, uh, we, uh, we provide capital to founders uh, as software. So you're basically Santa Claus. I'm trying to figure out how to describe it, actually. I've been saying Nike Plus for founders, or it's Master Class for people who want to start a business. But it's not Santa Claus. It's not that you just, like Oprah, and you're like, you get money, you get money. Mm, actually, kind of. <laughs> basically, <laughs> that's the perfect job for you. Yeah. Basically, we don't care. As long as you have revenue, we look at, like you plug your Shopify account or whatever directly into our software, and then we're like, looks good to us. <laughs> Mm. So it's like data informed capital uh, using okay. and it uses like kind of AI. I can't give away the secret sauce, but it uses sort of some AI to figure out if you're trustworthy or not. I've, I've been thinking a lot about uh, the value of money mm -hmm. because it, um, there's inflation and you know that growing up. And so you put bank, you put money in savings and that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> and so investment became really popular and became very mainstream and it seems like a regular life, like a lot of things, didn't seem to get that much more expensive. Like a pair of jeans doesn't seem outrageously expensive because oh, yeah. technology has, has just been making production cheaper and cheaper. Well, but the price labor of housing, costs have also been Yeah, but the price of housing and education keeps going up. So yeah. it feels like, oh, I can still buy a pair of jeans for 50 bucks. Yeah. yeah so my, my rent is like two thirds of my income or whatever. Yeah. I think that's just because certain types of labor 
have been ex- are continuing to be exploited and you know? automation yeah. yeah whereas a house is a finance product at this point right so it's not actually tied to labor it's tied to speculation yeah so. but what i mean maybe is that uh, maybe i have a distorted view from new york but i think also toronto and amsterdam and places like that mm-hmm. it's just you weren't used to growing up being like yeah one bedroom is a million Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I and, think yeah, and yeah. that's inflation. Yeah, and it's uh, it is inflation in in so much as like. But what what I mean tying into your product, where it's like, oh, oh. we just gave someone ten thousand dollars, and what does that mean? Oh yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, yeah, and we mo- mostly give people I guess you know we give people money so that they can give it to Facebook actually mostly or Google uh, for advertising <laughs> because you know no, but ultimately you know, and yeah. we we actually will incent that because. Um, here's the thing, like most... Yeah, that's maybe what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. the, it, it seems in fintech and money, it's almost like um, the money, and, and with blockchain even more, the, the money just doesn't seem to have any relationship with reality. It's just like entries in a database that move around. It really emotionally... Well, yeah, yeah. And, and part of the success of NFT, like it doesn't... Buying something for three ETH does not feel like $10,000. It's Did like, you, oh yeah. Yeah. Did you see Elon Musk at the code conference like a couple days ago or whatever? Did you? I don't want to turn this into I, this is the, I saw turning into the Joe Rogan podcast, but like, you know, he said something that I think is true about crypto, but about money in general, which is it's just um, information. And uh, yeah, but that's that's from his point of view because he has such a big supply. And then for other people, it's like student loans and eating. Uh, having enough to make it through the month and debt and stress. No, but that's also the same thing. We had the same theory at FreshBooks, which is like, it's all just different little, little tiny contracts. So little, little, little promises. I know, but it's a, that's a very, very like on your side of the spectrum point of view. (laughs) Yeah. It's like Jeremy from his It's like, it's like, Oh, money is these fun little creatures and you give them water (laughs) and they grow and it's really nice. And then for other people, it's like, Money is like I can't sleep death. at night. It's yeah. stress. It gives me cancer. Whatever. Um, yeah, because they basically the they ha- all the IOUs are are not in their favor. They're against them. Yeah. right? you but owe someone the, else. Yeah, there's this band uh, that I discovered recently, but they're from the early '90s, like sort of crust punk. They're called Dystopia, and they have this song "Stress Builds Character," and it's just them lamenting that they even have to think about money. Like, what do you mean I have to work for a living and forever owe money and like singing it with this desperate voice? Mm-hmm. And it's just, if you're not built for math and numbers and thinking that way, I th- you know, I, I'm always surprised uh, yeah. my friends in the US, they don't have a financial well-being class in high school. Yeah. Why is that not taught? That's there, weird. There, yeah, there was kind of a home economics movement in yeah. the, the 1950s and 60s. But we... But, we, yeah. we I mean, we definitely, our, our economics teacher and our math teacher would just hammer it into us. It's like, you have to understand compound interest. It, it, it means so much in your life and the way things move. And what I'm getting at is, is all, all this being said is that money is very hard to grasp. Like the way you talk about your computer, yeah, I always say is completely irrational. You could have bought a MacBook Air 10 times over. You can afford it. Mm-hmm. And then and then you're like, okay, I'll put all my savings in this account, yeah. give it to a bunch of rich people, and I'll ask it back in 30 years, but I won't buy myself a MacBook Air. Like that, 
Money is so irrational, even though it's numbers. That that's maybe what I'm getting. I'm not trying to provide solutions on okay, how to yeah. make a better world, but I'm I'm talking about like grasping things. Like you have your investment brain, and you're like, oh, yeah. it went up fifty percent. It went down fifty percent. Whatever, I should chill. And then you have your practical brain, like. Oh, the keyboard, my, my E is missing, but I'm fine. I'll just keep using it. You know why I'm waiting, though. Like, actually, it's funny, too, because no, I filed my taxes I, but last you week, should... and my accountant was like, it seems like you spent an unusual amount on iPhones last year. <laughs> is this correct? <laughs> I was like, yeah, here are all the receipts. I bought 10 iPhones. Um, I bought them for other artists, because the same thing, where I, I was trying to work with them on augmented reality, None of them had phones that could actually like present this, augmented yeah, reality. And this is the weird thing where you are in investment world and fintech world where yeah. it's like, oh, they're just digits. It's not money, it's energy. And we just think about it that way. And then on the other side <laughs> of the world, you're like, you're like iPhone Santa and you're just handing out <laughs> iPhones. And then when it comes to your own emotion, it's like, no, I can hold on for this computer for another five years when you could easily buy a new computer every three months. Like. Uh, well, you could always have the, the newest machine. Sure. I'd have to trade it in. I think you're right. There's a certain so, you know, there's a certain self-loathing in you. Yeah. No, I don't think it's self-loathing, but I uh, you know, depending on how how you view what has transpired over the last 2 years and and then over the last 30 years we, we're in the you know, the, we're, there's a there's this concept member when we started the pandemic, we talked about different types of recovery and one of the types was K shaped, right? Which is that Yeah, 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 for sure. We were gonna have the you know, the division between two types of citizen and they're not even types, just like how they're treated and, and, and the options available to them. Um, the K shape was gonna create a larger division between rich and poor. But it, I think the way you're describing is actually interesting too, which is like the realities of those two groups of people became further and further apart to the point where... Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like really, yeah. the, the perception of money where... It, and I think this happens to both of us. Like You have some savings and you put it in a retirement account or whatever, and it goes up and down. And you've learned behaviorally, like, it's good to put things aside. There's a risk to it. But when I'm 60, I'll be happy that I did that. Mm -hmm. And I'll have a, a rainy day and I have some safety. And then you suffer in the present because you're like, oh, these shoes are fine, they're, they're, they're broken, but whatever, I don't need them. Um, yeah, the way I've been and, telling Kristen, uh, I, I've been, well, at home, I was like, you know, we're like, we're poor, rich. Yeah. We're the poor, yeah. rich. Like, and my mom used to always say when I was growing up, I'm just going to be super honest on this podcast now, but she was always like, Jeremy, we're poor, we're poor. And I could not understand it because I remember we were making quite a bit of money. Um, like they ran their own business. You know, I saw the the types of work we were doing was for major brands. I was like, how can this be? Like, how can people that are so successful be so poor? And it didn't, it took until this stage of my life to understand what my mom was saying. It's because she was so leveraged against investment and debt um, that, you know, and you see this in like, you know, why did Elon Musk not pay any taxes or whatever, right? But essentially... Um, you know, how you invest your money, your money becomes this like job to manage. Uh, how do I make this not uncomfortable? But it, like, no, no, but it's it's very true. And I think it, it's true on a smaller scale, too, because I think a lot of artists taking it back to art, I think a lot of artists grow up with this ethos of uh, the work comes first, put everything back into the business. That's right. And, you know, you sold nothing is sure everything's uncertain so just buy more materials buy more studio time get some assistance expand expand and 
like your own safety is not important, but it's the business. Everything goes yeah, in there. Live for and, the day. And, mm-hmm. and and I think I think that's the. I think a lot of people, whether they're creative programmers or sculptors or people starting a startup, or like all our listeners, everyone knows this feeling of like, you feel guilty for giving yourself a treat because it's unnecessary and anything you spend on the business is tax deductible. It makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, but it, I don't know. It, it's also wonderful when you think about it. Like, um, Let's say that you always live in a very small personal home, but you have a big studio that you make really nice, that you you invest in making it a perfect environment because most of your waking hours are spent there. Um, so maybe that's what we're talking about. But well, of course, yeah. I mean, you, like if you have a good tax account, you know, you can definitely write off a portion of your studio fees on your taxes. But the only the thing is that it only makes sense if you're making enough income. This is the thing. Like there are these. Well, that's that where really it's painful because we're, we're, we are talking about our situation where we are safe financially. So maybe a lot of our listeners aren't. And, and I've never felt safe and I still don't. Like, and it's no. a feeling that haunts me constantly. No. But I understand but what I, you're saying. Yeah. I also have to say um, this year has been incredible financially. But I've, had, I've seen so many ups and downs through the 25 years. Mm-hmm. Like, like my income could be five times higher one year and then drop you know, to 20% of what it was the next year. And that's just the way it is. You just yeah. have to have savings. And so I'm not counting on anything, which is a funny it, 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 pun intended. Like, I'm not counting on anything. <laughs> um, I don't know. At the risk of this becoming the accounting uh, <laughs> jokes podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think we've both been in, especially in this last year, maybe everyone is in this boat where they're sort of counting on or fi- trying to figure out their life in, re- in respect to what they yeah. do and how much they earn. You know, of course, we've just come out of, or we're in the period they're calling the Great Resignation. So, uh, you know, there's a huge, you're hearing yeah, about huge labor shortages. Yeah, that's what I really shortages. wanted to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're hearing about great, you know, huge, huge labor shortages because people don't want to go back to their old jobs and they some of them found there's new jobs. And- there's different theories. There's also the, the theory that more high-end jobs opened up in tech. Mm-hmm. And so... It, it's it's um, if everybody moves up a notch, then all the the shitty jobs at the bottom nobody wants to do. Well, I'm experiencing it firsthand because you know, uh, Toronto I think opened up more tech jobs than any other city in the world in the last eighteen months, and so it's a huge yeah like basically like you could be working in a coffee shop one day and then the next day you're working in tech. The, yeah, I started my new job my new job with fifty other people on the day I started. Um, and so the, it's, but it's yeah, it's yeah. true. Like you, you'll meet people in a coffee shop that have a philosophy degree or some kind of degree that's not so practical, but they are really smart people. Yeah, that's right. It's it's clear. Like they they went to a great school, spent a lot of time, have a huge brain capacity, but they didn't study computer science. And so first tech hired all the computer science students, but then they're like, oh, we also need someone who understands uh, the consumer and who understands personalities yeah. and someone who understands narrative and and so there must be a ton of people that had day jobs that weren't had no capacity for growth and weren't what they studied for and that they're now being absorbed yeah by, yeah, by amazon say, uh, or facebook and I'd whatever like tech is just is everything there's nothing else but um but that, that might be the the long trajectory of the, this podcast where we talk about like art and tech and and now tech is also absorbing art and reshaping it Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah, it was the kind of considered the last um, 
Last disruptable thing. Yeah, and almost impossible to get through the gatekeepers, but it took yeah. like a pandemic level yeah, event. I, I, I wrote a tweet yesterday where it was, uh, the art world is like, this is art, and the tech world is like, I don't think so. You know, it's funny it's too. Like, it's not my, up to the, you. The two worlds have combined for me. Like I was talking to a friend who works at a tech company here and his uh, one of the founders of his company was like, oh, you know Jeremy Bailey? I mean, you know, he who like... He's he's does does a podcast with Raphael Rosendahl. Raphael Rosendahl, <laughs> he's like he's great. At, he's he's one of the top NFT artists, and I was just like chuckling because. Oh man, uh, I, I was so proud of my NFT accomplishments, and then someone wrote a tweet. It's like you're the lowest ranked curated artist on Artblocks. We really got to get your juices up. Like your aftermarket <laughs> is terrible. And I was like, this is my best year of my life. What are you talking about? He's like, no, you got to do secret airdrops and then you got to do a Zoom call for your holders and then you got to do this and this and it's a smart contract so you got to do smart contract things. And I was like, mm, no, I don't yeah. want to do this. Yeah, you're basically now one of those YouTube kids that bought a house in LA and parties every day. Blogs about it. Not at all. But, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, like, but what I, what I mean is uh, I, I think the world is reshaping they always say oh everything's changing so quickly but it really felt like the last two years things changed very quickly and then we're not sure if it was temporary or a lot of uh, Christina's co-workers moved to the suburbs or some of them did to upstate or to Long Island or like places outside of New York because mm -hmm. they were just like oh we're never going to go back to the office yeah, and I'm I'm still not convinced, but I'm biased because I I'm a city person, so I'm always like, yeah, city. But I think Google just bought an enormous footprint of office space in Manhattan. Yeah, I think everybody, all the other companies are like, oh, I guess offices are dead. We're going to shrink our office footprint, and Google is like, oh, this is a good moment to buy office space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a and there are quite a few people starting to write about this too. That one of the advantages that might emerge are, you know. Culturally, forever, there's been you know types of people who wanted to or couldn't afford to live in the cities, and they lived in the suburbs. You know, maybe they wanted a peaceful life, but maybe they couldn't afford to live in the city. Blah blah. Um, but then there are people that really do want to live in like the cultural centers, right? I, and I shouldn't call them and especially young the people. Sound, like, non I think I think it's a lot of young people who haven't met their life partner yet. That like. When you're coming out of college, you don't want to be in the suburbs as a single person. Potentially, but these companies like Google and and others, and my, you know, a friend of mine works at a company that just like said, "No, we're going to do three days a week downtown." And you're right, for young people, they're like, "Oh my god, that's so exciting! Like being in the office, I uh, can't yeah. wait." <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, I, I, what I mean with all this change is like when when the lockdown started, it really felt to me like. Oh, let's get some money out of the ATM because the machine is going to stop and it's going to be chaos. Mm. And then slowly things, at, at some point, things sort of, fig they figured out a way to work online. Everybody started working online. It was okay. I, I really thought like, oh, we're not going to have income for two years. And uh, then things started rolling. The machine fi figured out a way, whatever. And now it's it's so unpredictable where the future is and uh, what to decide. And uh, it's... You're I don't confused. know. Yeah, okay. Well, so. but, but but maybe what I'm trying to say is that we, in the beginning, we were all in survival mode, and now we're like sort of grasping what it is and, and the impact that it had on us psychologically. And I think for a lot of people, it's quite severe. For example, just to be on Zoom all day and not have the thirty minutes with a coworker sort of winding down after the work, and, right? And right. sort of it, it, I, that, I think that whole 
maybe the interesting thing is I've been working from home for 25 years or, you know, my whole <laughs> life. Yeah. And I love it. But for a lot of people, the camaraderie of, of the shared stress at work and getting through it and making the work, uh, that camaraderie is gone. Yeah, teamwork. Um, I mean, I think it is there. Uh, it's just, it's different. Um, Has it been hard for you? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I started a new job in the pandemic recently, right? So, you know, I'm working at a company with 600 people. You know, I'd met like a handful in Zoom calls. I've never met my boss in person. And I have a team like of new reports, right? And so... And where is your boss located? In Seattle. You know, I'm here in Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Half my team lives and works in, from Vancouver. And, ha- and you know, actually only one of them works here in Toronto. And the assumption is I should be hiring from anywhere in the world. Like, let's get the best talent. Um, but, like, you know, the last couple Fridays, I went into the office and two of my team were there. And it was just, like, so great to be with these new people in person and to form, you know, these initial connections. Yeah. And but it's, like, it's, it's, have you found it that a lot of people talk about it's really weird seeing people again and you have to sort of relearn your body language and yeah, talking well, people, to people and sitting and people are talking yeah. about it in two ways like one like we're giggly you know giggling and almost intoxicated to be around one another in person right um and you could tell there's like an energy like a pent-up demand yeah. to connect and then on the other hand like kind of awkwardness and exhaustion like i could only do this for a day you know but then people starting to talk yeah. about well maybe two days you know and, th- and there's the thing that a lot of people at work were always behind their desk with headphones on, so they weren't really in a room talking to each other all the time. No, that's true. That's true. And yeah. I remember that from New Inc., the, the co-working space from uh, the New Museum. Yeah, the incubator. Yeah, and I thought, oh, this is great, and I can go there and sketch and have good conversations <clears throat> with people, but most people are just on headphones because it was noisy and they want to focus. And so what's the real value of... Not having either a co-working space or a social club where you come without your laptop and you yeah. just go once a week. It's kind of funny, right? Because remember Sherry Turkle a little while ago wrote that, you know, about being alone together, that yeah. article, right? And the idea that we were all like, you know, living in these cities on our phones, but we weren't actually interacting with one another. I kind of agree and disagree. I think the pandemic pushed us to be alone apart. <laughs> yeah. And... And so, you know, a lot of people reevaluated their priorities around connection. Like, I never spent more time with my family, as an example. And I've talked to lots of people that feel that way, almost to the extent that I hope my family's not listening. And they're, I'm like, I, you know, I really need some friends in addition to my family. Like, family's not enough, I think I decided during the pandemic. Though I loved spending time with my family, don't get me wrong. But, like, I was seeing my mom and dad, like, every week. And at a certain point, because they were part of my bubble, at a certain point, I was like, mm, "This can't be healthy for the long term." <laughs> like, no, you can't just say, it's, like, it's yeah, it's a, the age difference. Yeah. yeah, just like culturally speaking, like I have a lot of stuff to synthesize that they don't understand at all. Like they kept my dad was so so confused and continued to be like, "So when are you going into work?" I was like, "We don't go into work anymore. We log into a computer." You know, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I think th- I remember the best moment I had during the pandemic, and it like best among a very low set of moments was like. I run this not-for-profit with a bunch of other tech leaders, and we all got on a call like around Christmas time, the holidays, and we were all like, "Oh my God, life sucks!" And we—it was a drinking party, and it, it sounds so unhealthy, but like, 
we just we drank cocktails together and bitched about how horrible things were and it was such a relief to hear that so many people were miserable you know connection is That's, not always this is the weird know, okay yeah. here's a, a, a weird thing that i've been struggling with and it sounds so terrible but a lot of people bitch because life is horrible and life is horrible for them mm-hmm. and then i always just have to keep quiet because my problems sound so not like not problems and i'm having such a great year and whatever yeah. so um that's and i found designers to be having a very rough time or being really into complaining like but all my the, design friends all they do is just complain no but i think what you're missing in my statement was that it was the best time of my no year. i understand like, but when i'm amongst <laughs> other people and all they want to do is vent and i'm just there as like hey let's come up with some ideas to make money and do fun stuff and make but, cool yeah. exhibitions and uh that's pent up all. energy though right like so the frustration yeah. needed to come out and i think that's why in person is a very efficient way of like are you feeling what i'm feeling you look to your left yeah that person's feeling what i'm I, feeling i know that you know? i know that to a point but yeah. i disagree also to a point like it, it, there's a employee mindset and entrepreneur mindset and i think there's a difference mm. and so if you if you're more comfortable being an employee then i think that complaining and venting oh, you I have see. the camaraderie and it's important yeah but when you're an artist you're not an employee as far mm-hmm. as i'm concerned yeah. and so i i feel like a lot of artists get together and gossip why are they in the biennial and not me blah, blah, blah i'm sad blah 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 but I feel like if you would just get together and discuss, oh, what are you working on now? That's interesting, but maybe this would make it better. Uh, yeah, I mean, art is bitch too. But I would say... Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. But I'm yeah. saying if you get together and uh, talk about ideas and maybe generate ideas together, yeah. you'll come out with more gold. I agree, I agree. There's um, there's a... Whatever you know, your of, choice of gold, you know? like Yeah. In uh, con- there's this concept of like continuous discovery in tech, which is like you always want to be... Uh, talking to your customer, um, not just to like, and and within it, there's this distinction between problems and opportunities. And, you know, for a long time, design thinking sort of proposed that there was, you know, and design, you know, you talk to a designer, you're like, what's the difference between design and art? And they always say like, well, designers solve problems. It's actually, that's a, that's a big, big mistake to make because designers also spot opportunities, right? And so there's a reframing that needs to happen sometimes when you're, Talking about problems, the problem with just being focused on problems is you might only like get people back to neutral. Like you actually never get them to the space you're talking about, which is like the new gold or the new opportunity. And entrepreneurs typically do think about problems as opportunities. Like um, not only can yeah. I solve this, but I see how I could solve it better than pe- these people I've ever imagined. Yeah, like, or, like yeah. Uh, someone is uh, figuring out problems of traffic or education or uh, student loans. Or d- yeah. yeah. Speculative design sort of came on the scene, you know, maybe it was almost 20 years ago now. It was like, you know what? We're not here just to solve client problems. We're here to like make the world a better place. So like, let's start imagining, you know, solutions as opportunities, you know, for us to do better because no one's, you know, there's these big, big problems in the world and we could do a lot more. So I'm totally with you. And, and that's outside the vent space and in the, you know, which is the problem space and in the opportunity space. I, I always like this quote. I think it's Bruce Lee. It's like, your focus determines your reality. Mm-hmm. And I really strongly believe in that. And I know how difficult it is. Like the last two, three months, I think I haven't been able to sketch much. Mm-hmm. Because I've been so focused on 
getting the projects out the door and I had this show and I have another show and, and I'm not complaining but it, it's hard amongst that whirlwind of stuff to just sit down and be quiet for an hour yeah um, and so this this idea of habits and focus yes I don't know if that 100% it, but that does I'm getting back to the lockdown like finding your rhythm and finding your focus when your whole life is up upended whether it's your kids are in the house with you um, where the the difference between working and living and they call it work from home but it's actually live at work and all that all this stuff and like amidst all that for you to just be calm and come up with new How ideas and improve yourself? your life yeah. when you're when you're basically in a tornado of Zoom calls and Slack mentions, and you're not really yeah. getting work done, you're just catching up on notifications. Well, it's funny because, like, I, this team I inherited at work is like, you know, four or five designers who haven't had um, management leadership, like, from a design capacity in almost like, a, you know, a year, like six months, you know, since they hadn't had anything consistent in regards to design leadership. And so, the, you know, in their minds, like, they're like, this place is chaos, like, you know, like, the, the the sky is falling. Oh my God, it's crazy here. Like we move so fast. Da, 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 da. It's kind of classic stuff that you hear in a in a group without management. And, and I'm not, I haven't saved the day yet, but like I was like so excited to inherit a group like that, right? Who's they're doing a great job under a tremendous amount of pressure. The stresses are real. But the first thing I did, obviously, is we got into a room and I said, we need to spend minimum half an hour to an hour every week focused on ourselves. You're, you're serving a lot of people, a lot of different voices telling you, do this, do that. But what are you doing for yourself? Right That's now? what I'm talking about. Like finding your core and, and finding your what you really want in your North Star, whatever you call it, yep. amidst all this change. That's quite difficult. Exactly. Exactly. And so we did that. We also wrote a document actually called North Star. <laughs> and we did all these things. And what was amazing is like, they were like, wow, like, I never, like, things are getting so much better, so much, so much quicker than we ever expected. And it's simply. I think, be- I, I think of the the character, the Wolfman in uh, Pulp Fiction. It's like, oh, you're two and a half hours away. I'll be there in forty minutes. <laughs> Comes and fix everything. Yeah. No, but I think, like for me, anyway, that's my pleasure. You know, that's like my privilege after eleven or twelve years, actually almost twenty twenty five years managing people and teams is like, I still find it like just the the pandemic actually is a fantastic opportunity for us to show our best selves. And to refocus our energy on our on ourselves and being our best selves. Well, I mean, it was definitely a way to trim the fat out of uh, procedures. Like, oh, why are we doing it this way? Why mm-hmm. are we doing it this way? But the thing I worry about at the large scale is that over time, um, different different changes have upended the middle class. So, let's say. I don't know if it was the '50s or the '60s that women came into the workforce, and then big corporate uh, decisions were like, "Well, let's just pay them half because both both the mom and dad are working." Mm-hmm. And so the same now with the work from home thing. It's like, "Oh, we can half our office footprint, but we don't even have to pay our employees more. And if they're in a remote state, we can actually pay them less because they're they're worth less." And why not get developers in Mexico or Eastern Europe? Because you can get them for ten times, ten times less, and so I wonder who's getting the benefits out of these changes. That's that's what I'm concerned about. Well, I mean, on the flip side, the Great Resignation. Not everyone has come back to work, and what we're seeing in the data is that more and more people are starting their own businesses. They're saying, like, actually, I don't want to work for someone else. I want to work for myself. 
We saw this in yeah, 2008 that is, as that's well. That's a good good way to look at it because you can start a company without an office in, on Madison Avenue. It's easier say, easier than yeah. ever to start a business. Yeah. Yeah. And and so we, I actually like I don't know. This is not a pitch, but you know, like the data demonstrate is demonstrating that this is maybe like the equivalent of women entering the workforce, or you know, prior to that, the industrial revolution. Yeah. But basically. what I'm saying is like women entering the workforce, uh, they took advantage of that by not increasing wages because uh, both the parents are working. They use that as a way of suppressing. Yeah, I think there's yeah. a there's an artist named Silvio LaRusso. He wrote a book like Everyone's an Entrepreneur. You know, no one is safe, and I, you know, to a certain extent. If we all become, you know, kind of the boss, we're also all expropriating ourselves, labor from ourselves, right? We're all hustling. You know, hustle culture becomes the number one thing. We're all trying to get the best deal from each other. And, you know, it's kind of like a could be a zero sum game. But another way of looking at it is like, you know, potentially the means of production is available uh, to the greater working class. And like, how could we empower or shift it from like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk to, you know, to women and people of color. Like, that would be the, the, the economic shift that I think we're on the verge of making possible. But, of course, yeah, it could slip back into the wrong hands and, and that power. It could all be an illusion. There's, a, you know, the mirage yeah. maybe just that. It's just on a very practical level, um, the home office. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, that was supposed to be the topic. We're like 30 yeah. minutes in, home office. Yeah, let's but, do it. But, like, we both didn't change our setup even though the pandemic started, we didn't rent an office. But so some people either moved further from the city to get a bigger house so you can have a home office. Or like imagine you're living with roommates or you're living in a one bedroom with two kids. And then you also have to figure out how to work from home. Mm-hmm. And then you want an office of your own so you rent it yourself. The boss is not paying for that. Yeah. Um, so that's what, also what I'm curious about. That's the same squeeze. Subsidy like, of the worker. Yeah. Yeah. The worker is subsidizing. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like businesses, benefit like your, your new job, where, where they like, yeah, well, we you there's an office you can go there anytime. Yeah, there that that is the current state. I mean, I have to check in and be vaccinated. Um, and so and how is the office there. set up? Um, you just go in, and then there's like no one there. <laughs> so but is just, it a nice yeah, office? You grab a desk. It's it's pretty nice. I mean, it's a startup. Like all startups look like the Matrix. Like you know, you just plug into plug into the Matrix, like a desk with a, yeah. a you know monitor a desk with a bigger screen. Yeah, yeah. Or use a breakout room, which is what I do. Yeah, and, yeah. And do you see yourself going there? I've been trying to go in. Yeah, so I've been going in two two days. I, I'm up to two days a week, and I'm finding it's like nice. It gets me out of the house. Gets me focused. I exercise. I bike bike to work. I meet some new people when I'm there. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I'm just I'm really fascinated with urban development and how cities will develop and uh, like you he- you heard all these stories about like Midtown Manhattan yeah and it's kind of it looks like it's from the 80s I don't know if it's from the 80s but it just feels like the 80s like, like big towers who, oh yeah and the suits are kind of baggy and the food <laughs> is kind of bad and like, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah like it's an outdated concept I mean a, yeah here, here in Toronto 30 percent. Uh, we're only using thirty percent of the the core. Um, like we're at thirty percent of the traffic that was in the core previously. So, you know, less yeah. more than seventy percent of people have not returned to the the core. And and I don't think they can change those offices into residential easily because a lot of those spaces don't have windows. They're further from the outside of the building. 
Yeah. Well, the other thing is like office leases are 10 years typically, right? So it's going to take a while before all the leases expire and, and or renew. Yeah. And, you know, I think people are still on a wait and see kind of mode. I and then you have Google who's like, oh, this is an opportunity. We're buying up like half of Manhattan. They're hedging a bet that there's a certain class of labor that's going to want to be, you know, working in person. And I don't think it's, yeah. a, it's a bad bet. Like similarly at Code Conference, like it was funny to hear Elon Musk say, you know, China has been like difficult to work with because they priv- the whole country works on in-person meetings and no decisions are made unless they're in person or something. I was like, yeah, a billion people fi- like <laughs> work on this like in-person meeting system. Um, that seems like they should have been the first to go remote, like given the size of the country, the number of people and decisions <laughs> need to get made. Yeah. But trust is. The fa- I think it's a trust factor, right? Like, you know, um, and it's a bond, you know, kind of thing where we don't want these decisions and this collaboration to be transactional. Ultimately, there's like a yeah. information bandwidth. Well, that's I'm definitely real. excited to do things in person, like doing the show in the UK. It was very fun to just see people actually looking at the work and working together. And mm-hmm. then um, someone in Rotterdam at the Pete Swart Institute was organizing... Uh, zoom lectures and i just said no i don't do zoom lectures let's just do it in person and i i'm going to the netherlands for another thing so i could combine it in the trip and he he was really surprised like oh oh yeah that's possible oh that's a good idea yeah the same thing happened when i went to germany people like what are you doing here i was like the first american quote unquote yeah yeah yeah. you know exactly we haven't seen americans in years (laughs) (laughs) you exist I like, guess yeah. I have I have news from the new world. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but I think so th- I I I don't know. I I, f- I feel like well, well, the positive thing about it is that uh, the taboo of, of uh, staying in touch with people remotely has been lifted, or meeting people remotely. I yeah. think that was weird before. Like you wouldn't trust someone until you met them in person. People are even hugging. Like people keep asking me, "Can I hug you?" Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, apparently, I'm huggable. <laughs> yeah but yeah i i don't know i, I feel like uh, i i don't want to predict the future at all but i we we the pandemic happened and my first thought was like oh we could live anywhere now because yeah. we were always tied to new york because of uh, christina's job and now we're like oh we could live in costa rica we could live in miami mm-hmm. and so we we went to miami for two weeks to see like oh what what would that be like to live here close to the beach but then it's like uh, I don't see myself being here. I love it for two weeks, but I don't see myself being here for three, four months. Mm-hmm. And then we were in Georgia and uh, House by the Lake, and I love it too for a month. But after that, I definitely like yeah. New York a lot, and I'm very uh, happy that I'm here. It's been um, hard for, like, I've been trying to get, like, past the bullshit into some kind of, like, this is so hard to say. Well, let, like, me, let, let me ask it to you straight like this, like, you you could live. You were tied to Toronto, but I guess Kristen is tied to Toronto as well. Yeah, she's been getting an itch to leave. But like one of the things I'm considering is like so the the obvious response to your your feeling is like community matters, right? And then you say then the next question is okay, like let's pick apart your community. And for me, it's like okay, well, there's this grocery store, there's a bank over there, there's like a corner shop. Like you start to try and like make you know make a logical argument for what community is. And I, you know, here in Toronto, we had like, you know, this urban um, planning uh, methodology, which was like, 
you know, it's famous for like, well, great communities have people at different income levels and they have businesses mixed in with residential. And, you know, there's all this, this planning kind of rhetoric. Exactly. Yeah. And you're like, uh, but like, is it really like the corn? Like, who cares? Like, whether the grocery store well, is there? Let, let's put it this way: How often do you see friends in Toronto or go out, go out to eat with friends? Once a week. Yeah, and so if you said, "Oh, we're going to buy a little island off of Newfoundland and uh, like create our own little world," then you don't have that once a week. Yeah, fifty-two uh, less encounters a year. I guess. Yeah, and it's it's this weird thing where it's like there's these two three restaurants I love. I took you to Kokoran and uh, yeah. we, we sat there. And then you're like, is it really worth all the trouble of New York and all the costs? That's what I'm getting and, at, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and then the question is, yes, it is to, to me. And like, even though everything's reduced and like Metrograph still hasn't opened, I can go to a comedy club here and I can go see live jazz music and I can go see classical music. And uh, But here's the thing, know. like, is it the potential or the reality? Like, No, it's the reality. It's, yeah. Okay, yeah. so that that's great. Like, so now you're getting closer to the truth. Which, like, what I want to cut through is the like ambiguity of, you know, people will use the term energy. Like, there's an energy when I'm around people. I'm in a city, and there's this dynamism, and like, but I think it's actually, it's less that, and it's what um, in a in a lot of like innovation writing and stuff, they would often talk about this thing that I didn't like. I never really fully understood it, but like the importance of collisions, and like. That, you know, like the world's most innovative centers, um, historically, this is like over 100 years of study, are places where not only people, but ideas collide, right? And they're not expected. And so it's actually the disorder that creates opportunity, you know, net new opportunity. And, and so what's funny about that, I think, is that for our like human brains, that's like we describe it as energy or we'll describe, we'll use abstract terms to describe it like spiritually, like I need to connect with people, but actually what you need to do, which happened to me this week is run into someone, you know, you know, while you're on your way somewhere else, you know, such that it allows you to set up a coffee date a week from then where you share an idea that you didn't know you were going to have because you, you ran into someone else, right. Or you read something or you saw a show that you didn't expect. Yeah. And, And I, I think if we're, isolated in our homes being fed by the algorithm you know like i'm watching netflix and everyone's watching let's say squid yeah. game which is actually just based on battle royale and no one should, i don't understand why it's so exciting but we'll get to that another day like that that is that algorithm's just we're all getting the same experience there's no room well, for the collision or encounter but there's the counter argument is that uh the cool urban life with a tiny apartment is fine when there's a lot of stuff outside. You're going to the office every day. You're going for drinks every day. Yeah. Uh, there's concerts. And all of that evaporated. Peak and collision. That's peak yeah. collision, right? And yeah. then you're in your micro apartment and you're like, well, I'm on the screen anyways. Why don't I yeah. have a big yard and all this? So has has the space issue come up with you and Chris? Yes. Well, let me give you an example. Like I was talking to someone about my art at work, about my art practice and how I, you know, uses augmented reality. And then they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're you're definitely a candidate for Project Morpheus. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I just got a fifty thousand dollar budget to buy you know a group of us 
VR headset so we can all like work in VR. I was like, no, I was excited. I was, I was like, no, I'm working from my micro apartment in, in VR. Like I'm totally patched into the matrix. <laughs> You're in the pod. Yeah, I'm in the pod. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, but what's weird is that the micro apartment in a dense city with lots of offerings, if it's not lockdown time, uh, it actually gives you more real life impulses than if you're in the suburbs in your house and you're on your laptop all the time. Well, yeah, exactly. Me, like you could be more. Isolated. I, I I think you know I've never lived outside of a city, and but to me it seems like if you are in the suburbs, it's just you're at home, and then you go to Chipotle, and that's it. But we should be real. Like you know, what pushes a lot of people um, to the suburbs is not actually that they want to go there. It's affordability, and there's an affordability it's crisis. Kids, and, yeah, yeah, and so they have children, and it actually a child is a bedroom. You know, unless you all want to sleep in the same bed. I don't know how <laughs> how long that's going to last. Um, and so yeah. you know, the for it's what the, it's what can you know you can afford. It's what I could like I could afford, and I'm relatively wealthy on the spectrum, right? So yeah. Um, no, I know. I've, it, it's funny. Like, uh, you know, I made. I'm really not complaining. I made incredible money, and then you start looking at homes in New York, and you're like, I am just barely scratching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're at the bottom of the, the yeah. ladder in that in that realm. But the other thing I think is that, um, you know, typically in the past, right, those people would have not only would they have to move out of the cities, they then have to be like inherit a tax, like a two hour tax for commuting in and out, mm. right? Which I know for the folks I, I you know that I, I've worked with that have kids and work commuting was a huge um, quality of life compromise. Yeah. It, it's funny that you say people are forced out because of affordability, but I also think the fact that people with kids uh, have to move out of the city keeps the city young. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, it I'm keeps o- the energy. So someone was saying... Yeah. New York is fun because of the small apartments, not in spite of the small apartments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You know, it forces people to go out. And uh, if everybody has a comfy home and you're like, shall we go see comedies? Like, no, I, I got it here on Netflix. Why would I, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Because most of the days, like, I've recently started to feel like, wait a second, like, uh, uh, like, why am I always the oldest person on the street? <laughs> I look around, everyone's like so young. I'm like, wait, what yeah. happened here? Like, where... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where did people like me go? I mean, and I think the last two years I've just become more uh, uh, convinced that the city is for me. Like I figured that out. But mm-hmm. and, and and that argument of like you don't want to grow old in New York, I don't see the problem. I'd rather mm. uh, be in a restaurant with a bunch of young people than be have the early bird special at the retirement home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Who was that uh, New York Times photographer that died a few years ago? The- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, wrote around Bill Cunningham? Yeah, exactly, Bill Cunningham. Yeah, like that's, that's. I don't know, I guess he could have had a good life being in uh, Boca Raton and photographing old people too. It but seemed like he was, like, he, he seemed like like life goals, like hashtag life goals, like it, that seemed like something that would appeal to me, just still riding my bike, which I'm doing yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. You know, going from show to show. It's a great life. Well, that's your North Star, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, that, I mean, it, yeah. you saw the documentary on him? Yeah, I did, and I think with the because the he, other thing, he kind of tried to keep money out of his life, like out of the decision making tree. So he, I think he lived in a storage room in some kind of cultural building <laughs> yeah, for free. He did, yeah, and he would eat one egg sandwich a day for three dollars, and then, you know, he had books published. He was working for the New York Times. I think he had some kind of minimal salary, but then he didn't want to cut of the books, and he just didn't want money to be 
even a thought. In a way, he was, you know, the FIRE movement, right? Which is the retire early movement. I don't know if you've oh, yeah. that. Like, he was yeah. like an original, you know, kind of FIRE retiree. But, you, you know, still working. And what you hear from those FIRE people is they actually don't stop working, right? They just choose. They make choices. But it just removes a, a certain stress. Yeah, they're like, well, <laughs> I choose now only to work two days a week instead of being forced to feel like I have to work five days a week. I, I, this is a bit of a... Um, uh, Going in other territory, but I, I I've heard from movie directors never make a movie with investors who don't need the money. Mm, interesting. Because they can just get bored and be like, "This is too stressful. I don't want to do it." <laughs> and so you don't want to be in business for people who are not in it. That's the opposite uh, who, side. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm, no skin in the game. I remember actually when I was working at FreshBooks way 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 back, like when I first started there, th- th- we brought on this guy. Or when we were like, you know, we were the the it startup because you're always at there are different cool startups that pass through every scene, right? And so this is like 11, 12 years ago, and this guy's like in a meeting with all of us. You know, we were talking about the future, and he's like, and performance wasn't where it needed to be, or something that quarter. And he's like, you know, I don't need to be here. I made a lot of money on this thing called Expedia. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> like, and this guy drove his jag in or whatever. Well, that's how I often and, feel watching movies. And we it's all like, looked at each other and like, we're not going to work for this guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, but that, that's often how I feel. This when I watch a stressful movie or horror movie, I'm like, I don't need to be here. Why am I experiencing this stress? And yeah, I know that it's that, a completely like, different thing. It's not money, but this idea that like, why am I going to be stressed out for the next two hours if I don't have to? Well, anyway, he wasn't with us for very long because everyone no. turned on him, right? So, like, I do think yeah. you're right to a certain extent. Was he, like, like the, the character from Silicon Valley? The <laughs> Basically, yeah. Russ Hanneman or whatever? I've met, I've literally met everyone, every character from Silicon Valley in my, like in my career. Like, ten times over. Ten times <laughs> yeah. over, yeah. They all, it's <laughs> way too close to reality. Yeah. I don't know I wonder how that, show, how that show will age because the fact that it uses technology and the narrative can make it outdated, like... But at the same time, it seems they were pretty clever in the writing that it wasn't... Well, yeah. Like, uh, file compression is something that will always be relevant. It's we actually hired the, the you know, the guy, the rude the rude VC guy. The, did you yeah. just say his name? I can't remember his name. Russ Hanneman. Russ Hanneman, yeah, yeah. We just uh, hired him at ClearCo for, like, uh, you know, to do, like, a... You know, because you can use that um, cameo oh, yeah, yeah, to yeah, announce yeah. a product. But, like, oh, funny. full circle... <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> he must be making good money on Cameo. Like, it totally. seems a good, a good ask. Yeah, are yeah. you on Cameo? No, are you? We should maybe we should both be on Cameo. Yeah, <laughs> can we? Do you have are there qualifications necessary for that? I don't know. <laughs> that's homework. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That would be a, maybe that's a way to fund this podcast. And by the way, I was thinking. Um, now we're really drifting off here, but we need uh, new swag for the podcast because we haven't updated it. But we did sell a T-shirt this week. Reminder to our audience, every T-shirt we sell helps uh, pay for the SoundCloud fees, which yeah. is about 100 bucks a year. So 10 T-shirts a year is all we need to keep this podcast going. That's for you. There's your ambition. What's like 10, 10, to t- 10 T-shirts a year. <laughs> I've also got yeah. a great... There's a great pair of short shorts on there. Uh, yeah. I wear them to bed. Anyway... Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the the but, whole topic but, was supposed you, to be about, yeah. I, if, if it's up to you, how do you see the future of your work as far as home office? Like, Do you want to get a, a dedicated office space? Do you want to live in a bigger apartment? Are those things well, yeah, so you the guys guy talk that, about? The, the pinnacle um, like guy like or you know, person on this is this guy um, who's the CEO of uh, Automatic. 
which is um, the people that make WordPress, right? And I think his name's Matt Mulligan. Uh, he's done a bunch of writing, and his thing is, if you're going to make the home office work, you have to stop thinking about it as a temporary measure, and you have to start thinking about it as your opportunity to have the world's greatest corner office. Like, you know, the corner office in, in the old days, you know, advertising firm or law, law firm, was that, you know, office where you're surrounded by windows, there's beautiful plants, you have a nice desk, it's this like perfect space that's just for you where you can do, you know, your thinking. And then when you leave the office, you go out into the world, whatever, which is the floor, that's different, right? And so you have this opportunity to design your space. And so I've been thinking about that because I live in a tiny space, right? But I and think you don't have you don't even have a desk. I have you no chair. I have no desk right now. I'm sitting at yeah kitchen table. I have, my couch is like you know giving me back issues. Or and whatever. you're you're imposing on Kristen's life space because you're using well, you're she, using the life space as a workspace. Yeah, and she works from either the bed or the bathroom. You know? Yeah. So you and I have talked about like oh well should we buy apartments as studios and we're like wow like half a million or a million dollars that I'm now spending for an office or studio, that seems a little extreme. Yeah. So that's that, that has been the thing for me. It's not like, oh, you can make a little, you know, you can find some a desk for 800 a month, but I don't want to have a shared desk with other people. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's either the beautiful corner office or then I'd rather be on my own couch. Well, here's yeah. my projection is that we are going to start to think about this the same way we think about our bedrooms or whatever where... You know, yeah, futon's okay for your during your twenties, but when things get real, you know, when you have work to do, you don't want to be worried about your back, like your actual body, the sound quality, and so if it hasn't happened already, but it hasn't happened for me because I wasn't really ready to commit to full time. I think people are going to spend a tremendous amount more money and focus on establishing great work. But from home but spaces. for you personally, it's it's not like oh, I'll I'll be at the office the the my company's office four days a week so it's not worth the well now i know that it's not going to be that that's not possible because not everyone's going to be there so it's going to be a few days a week here and there yeah. and so i'm gonna you know I, i've got my mood board it's got an eames desk like this great herman miller chair you know i'm gonna redesign my living room so it can convert from living to working you know it's gonna cost me like 10 grand i think um Which sounds like a lot of well, money. Well, at least right? it's not a recurring cost because that's the thing I'm struggling with. Like, yeah, uh, uh, I could rent another unit in the building or rent something nearby, but most stuff is really depressing. I've looked at stuff like, oh, here's a view of a wall. What do you think? Yeah, and well, and you, so yeah. for me, the the commitment of like, oh, if I'm going to set up an outside office, you're going to spend money to make it nice, totally. and then if if Christina ends up like in a year and a half mostly being at the office. And I like working at home. Then I've I've put all this effort into doing something I don't need. And, well, think of it yeah. this way: like if you had moved to the suburbs, you would have said like, "Well, we need a car, sixty grand for a, a car, so you can commute to work." That's just the cost of doing business, right? So I think, yeah, ten grand for an office space or some kind no, of no, no. Like, I, I I'm down with with buying furniture. I'm saying committing to a lease that that's a different thing, or committing to a mortgage or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean the. From an investment standpoint, I mean, I actually, already have the, the, the mortgage. I have I have the nice chair and a nice desk already. The thing is, here's what I you know, like not, on this podcast, we do not provide financial advice that you should follow. <laughs> but if you committed to the mortgage, in theory, as long as you can pay the mortgage, it's a better idea because you could turn it into an income property if the plan doesn't. I don't believe in that at all because 
to me personally, it sounds like a lot of work. And when you have a lot of work, you have a lot of distraction. You're not focused on your own what? business. Rosendahl so you're doing real estate. Come on. <laughs> so you're <laughs> doing something where you're like, oh, we got a problem with the pipes and we got yeah. to get this program. Oh, we have to sue the previous owner because they sold us something that was blah, blah, blah. Whereas I could be sketching, making new stuff. That's what I want to spend my time on. The guy that, you know, the, do you know the guy that bought like all of Dumbo like in the 1970s or whatever, 1980s? No. No, no one knows him personally, but there was like one guy. <laughs> he bought it and he's like, I think this is the future. This is like Manhattan is going to get, it's going to become too dense. And then like everyone's going to have to move. They're just going to move. It's not that far across the bridge, right? But people didn't want to cross the bridge, right? But Dumbo, of course, is now, I think, per square foot, the most expensive or one of the most expensive regions in New York, right? Yeah, it's like people would rather be there than Midtown. Yeah. And that was like a 20 year game. So I think, like, Think you know you got to think a little longer game because now we're no I I understand that perfectly but I yeah. think uh, real estate to me sounds like a distraction like if I spend more time coming up with new exhibitions and new haiku and whatever yeah that uh, yeah yeah it's just be- better way to spend time but the one yeah. the the, th- the one thing about owning the place where you live is that you're paying rent anyway so it's actually not like there's no management in it it's just like, I've just seen friends in New York buying places and it just costs them a year and a half of stress oh wow that's okay. what I'm talking about like I can make more I can make more in a year and a half by being not stressed yeah yeah that's you're living that, the digital nomad life like for yeah. life yeah yeah but then you gotta you gotta do your Miami every once in a while. You gotta do your Costa Rica. You gotta like yeah. you know, live into your flexibility. Well, that's the, we have to set up Costa Rica for the January. Oh yeah, so uh, we're gonna do a podcast episode from Costa Rica in January. Yeah. Uh, stay tuned for that. Yeah, um, let's convert that money into fun. <laughs> it is pretty fun there because the water. I mean, I told you on the po- I think on the podcast I said because the, the water, water isn't painful. The water is like literally warm. <laughs> so canadian i went into the water and it didn't kill me i know i've never i had never experienced pleasant water before yeah i'm I'm spoiled with the going to brazil as a kid my parents own a place on a lake right here in in canada and like they never go swimming like i think i've seen them swim like once in their lives it's just for it's It's just just a visual feature yeah Yeah. it's like the equivalent of a a plastic couch Yeah. yeah yeah and there's a part of the world where the water is actually something that people want to be immersed in this it's not an enemy (laughs) (laughs) no i know it's 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 uh it's wild i i remember some brazilian family member moving to the netherlands and they went to see the beach in the fall and they just cried they're like this is the beach (laughs) it was so sad what no in in the netherlands oh in the netherlands sorry yeah it was like this is the 12 degrees with sort of (laughs) Mild rain and wind, and you're looking at the the gray green beach. There's a certain romance to that that Kristen and I actually love. We love like the crashing, the the you know the like the ocean that's that is this force of nature that is too, yeah, too yeah. much it, for your human body to absorb. Yeah, yeah. but uh, and that's you, you, you you can rationalize it any way you want. That's but if Canadian you grow up in Brazil, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one's like you know if you go to the beach. We have these huge beaches that are like in Canada, like in the Maritimes. They're like it's like a hundred miles of like white sand beach, and there's like no one on it. It's all you, like in Prince Edward Island as an example. 
Um, but like literally there's no one in the water either. There's like a seal yeah. or something. Well, <laughs> like Rio seal. is the opposite. It's, it's like Burning Man every day. It's, it's the beach is completely full of people and everybody's uh, drinking on the beach and swimming. And uh, yeah. That's the city of beaches. Yeah. Welcome to the suburbs. So to each his own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so we didn't really get to a good point on, on working from home, did we? No. We didn't. Well, I, I, I agree with this thing of like build your dream corner office and see it that way. But then in reality, you have to find that within your means. Because there, there, before the pandemic, there were all these remote first companies. It was actually like part of tech. Tech's like kind of. Yeah, that was always the thing. Like this is all digital. We're all on a thin client and mm-hmm. we're talking to servers. Why, why do you need to be in an office? And it's this collisions thing. We talked about it at. You know, our CEO at FreshBooks talked about it, but almost every CEO, if you talk to them, they'll be like, you got to do the collisions, man. You got to do the (laughs) collisions. And so this collisions writing, I mean, it's interesting because you didn't see very many people come out with new products for collisions. But it's funny, I like last week I was sitting down with our friend Constant and uh, only other co-host of this podcast in the history (laughs) Yeah, and, and like uh, he comes up every episode. Yeah, yeah it comes up every episode. But he he created this product called Common Garden, or it's Common Dot Garden if you want to visit. But I think you need like a login and stuff. And it's designed to create like an online exhibition space where you can have collisions and like you're these like little floating video heads, and you can move around looking at. It's kind of like a flat canvas, but there's like videos and images and text. And it's to sim- like kind of simulating if an opening were inside of a website or a magazine or something, um, and you could move around it in horizontal or two-dimensional space. Um, and then you can, like, if you get close to someone, you can hear them and then have, like, a little interaction. Yeah. It's literally it, this it, collisions idea. It's like if, if Malevich designed Animal Crossing. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that, that I was interested. I was saying, like, hey, you know, how, you could productize this. Like, you could make this something for tech companies or schools or because so, you know schools are everyone's coming back to school you're so, you're the, it's funny you always talk about uh, <laughs> communism and meritocracy and all this stuff but you're such a capitalist <laughs> so get some venture capital da, 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 da. Uh, yeah i was like come on like okay like you know what are the key segments here but anyway yeah. um <laughs> he's actually he was open to it um and i know okay, that there are a couple revenue, other bro. products out there there's gather town have you tried gather town or no, um, there's also one called uh, Bramble that's a Toronto. Well, it, it is uh, back to that question of this guy who was trying to help me and saying like, "Oh, we should get your NFT market up because it's uh, if you just do these simple tricks and da da da, mm-hmm. and then you have to do all this online social stuff like be on Discord more, be yeah. on, and then you go. That's the exact same argument as buying a house. It's like just buy a house and it'll increase five percent, and then it is isn't but it's a distraction. So I I really. That's what I'm talking about. It's so difficult to keep your focus on making new work. And but, there's always rational arguments why you should do A, B, or C. And so Discord and Twitter and all this stuff, I I was almost off of social media before NFT. I was really yeah. just removed myself from it. Now, even to participate in NFT, you really have to be on Discord to, just to keep up with security stuff or pricing or right, understand right. the culture. This is why people don't hire executive assistants anymore. They hire social media assistants. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a lot. And like, if your primary job, if you still believe that your primary job is making art, um, that's very hard to do when the computer is asking for your attention. Totally. I mean, that's yeah. a re- my recurring theme. You know, you know, maybe people get tired of hearing it, but... 
uh, it, every three months you have to reset yourself. Like, is, are these notifications necessary? Is is this helping me? Because it seems like, oh yeah, if I if I do a, a Zoom call with this person or I go to Common Garden or whatever, it'll help. But uh, it's it's a, you pay a price also. Hmm, interesting. Well, you're so community minded as long as it's not work, right? Um, if there's yeah, I way, guess it's yeah. Because yeah. I remember you saying you're addicted to the community of NFTs when we first started. Yeah, I don't know. I say a lot of stuff. I don't know what, what I'm thinking. <laughs> you're like it's like but the early it, internet. It, yeah, it is. It is, and then it's exciting, and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I haven't been sketching as much as I should. Mm, interesting. Maybe you just that's, need to take a vacation. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's like you get sucked in, and it's exciting, and it, and that's the same with real estate, or the same with any other thing you add to your life. And yeah. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would recommend that you get like someone to manage your social media at some point though like if you have the money for it like why not if it's like if it's horrible for you why why should it be you that's managing it yeah yeah I don't know this is an idea I feel like when you're not doing it yourself people can smell it and then like, mm, I know I know different because like like you know I've worked for people and it seems like they're doing all their own social media but they're not like Elon Musk seems like he's doing his own Twitter. he is doing it yeah he is. yeah and that's why it's so successful it's because it's not someone writing it for him mm. you know this is why you should have children <laughs> just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah then you can hire them to do that um anyway I think uh yeah so the jury's still out on on work from home but I do believe people are going to invest more money People are going to go in a couple days a week. Already, companies are starting to say like two or three days a week. Hey, we're open here as a co-working space. We actually want the, you to come the, in here and is party. This is a good point because if it is the two, three days a week, yeah, then you're in this intersection of like, do I stay in the city or move outside? You're like, mm, what if it becomes four days a week and then the commute? Well, maybe so it, I, maybe it it's keeps obvious, people in limbo in the decision. I thought it was obvious, but um, maybe I didn't make it clear. Like when you go in, the expectation is that you work kind of alone and that it's hybrid first. So you're just joining video calls. So you have to think of it as like a co-working space. So it's like your new income. No, no, but I'm, an, I'm talking about where do you decide to live? Near the office or far away? Yeah, I don't know. People are going to have to make some tough calls. Because but, if, if, if people are saying, okay, we need you to be in two days a week. That's a requirement. Yeah. So you need to live in an expensive city. So your home office will be tiny. Instead, if you move further away, you could have like you can have the whole guest house because it's so cheap wherever you're living. Yeah. Um, but and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, the two days a week became four days a week, and actually it's five days a week that you have to come to the office, otherwise you're fired. And yeah. then you've moved away and you have a four-hour commute every day. Yeah, you're going to have to do something. I don't know. I think, yeah, there's going to be, like, real estate prices are going to go way up in the cities because some people are going to fall back on the cities. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't expect it to suddenly become, like, 1970 and, like, New York crime skyrockets downtown because of white flight or something. Like, I think it's just going to be a privilege to yeah. work in the city. And at least in my building, it's 100 units, I think. And I think at some point, half the people had left. And now I just see people moving in every week. And it's all coming back. And Yeah, and I mean, it's tough. Like, our, our neighbor's place. Now, we're not in a big unit. We're in a tiny unit. But we yeah. were, there's a big unit that opened up next to us. But the, the price was, like, just too much for us. It was almost $3 yeah. million. It was like... Oh, yeah, that's what like I mean. It's like, <laughs> hey, I made some money. No, you didn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, I and, don't remember paying that much for this place. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? But the, the, I spoke to someone in the building. They said that a lot of people from San Francisco were moving to New York because the price of San Francisco was just so high that New York seems cheap. 
Yeah, for sure. New York does yeah. seem cheap, actually. Krista and I have been looking at prices because we were thinking about a move to New York. Just uh, I didn't tell you, but um, just we were kind of getting that itch, like, or maybe we should have another place, maybe do a part-time in New York, and um, is actually affordable compared to Toronto. So, Well, that's what's weird. Like, I, I keep track of Amsterdam. And I always thought, like, the plan was you move to the U.S., and mm-hmm. you build your name, and then you go back to the Netherlands and buy a place stable. <laughs> right, right. And I've just seen prices in the Netherlands rising much faster than in New York, where it seems like, oh, like if you convert the euros and the taxes and everything, it's it's like New York prices, and it's not New York. Yeah, it's not the same cultural. Like the price went up, but it, the number of uh, cultural possibilities hasn't increased like museums and uh, music and uh, yeah. yeah yeah i mean new york's a huge city a lot of real estate available and um and a million less people commuting into the city apparently right than there used to yeah. be no i i like the i have to say that the less tourists of course has been nice and like it's easier to get a table and uh, it's less stressful and all the outside seating is really nice and i, I like this moment in new york well you should stay there yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, that's probably all we've got for this week. We we were going to advertise our friend's uh, podcast, but are we going to do that next time? Well, he's going to send us a trailer. That's what he said. Okay. Yeah. We mentioned so it a we few won't times say on the podcast, who but... it is, but it's Ben Fino. <laughs> <laughs> but we did mention it last time, I think, too. Yeah. If you haven't listened to his podcast, though, check it out. Yeah. And um, you know, next we're week fi- we'll do a listener question and a field recording. And do okay, we'll get back to the normal formula. format. I think we've got to get yeah. back to a regular format um, yeah. in some way and get back to our routine. It's fall, people. We're back to work. SNL's back yeah. on. I watched that this morning. That's like how I know. Or like if the TV seasons are back on, it's time to get back to work. Yeah. What's this pumpkin spice lattes? Are yeah, back. get your pumpkin spice lattes. Um, you know, go get your you know binder and your pens and pencil case from walmart whatever it's back to school um but glad to be back with everyone and um looking forward to listening yeah let's figure this like this let's just figure this like post-pandemic thing out and uh get past this last wave yep all right thank you thanks everyone Bye. bye